what a glorious morning it is. Does it feel good? Breathe. Got the birds chirping. The sun shines a little brighter today after last night's game, right? Yeah. Did you guys stay up and watch it? I was worried about my message because it is definitely going to be affected whether we won or lost that game. So I was like, I'm not going to sleep tonight. I'm all amped up. But uh, here we are. Um, no, that was, uh, that was a good ending. Good ending to, uh, to my Saturday there. Um, last week, we started a brand new series on the life of the king named David. And uh, you've probably heard of King David before. Uh, he's one of the most documented figures in all of ancient history. There's 66 chapters in the Old Testament that's just dedicated to this man. And uh, David, being the second king of Israel, all the kings that came after David would all be compared to him. And the best ones were called the ones who walked in the ways of David. Uh, he's a man, what I think I like the most about this is that he's a man who I think was a lot like us, right? Or a lot of us in here where we're trying to do the right thing, we're trying to live the right life, we're trying to, we're trying to follow God with who we are, but he's also a man who failed tragically in almost every area of his life. He failed as a king, he failed as a friend, as a husband, as a dad, and as a God follower, and in case you missed last week, let me get you ca caught up. Uh, at this point in history, it's about 3,000 years ago, about 1,000 years before Jesus was born. Um, the nation of Israel, they uh, go and they really demand from God a king. And God warns them. He says, hey, man, this is not, what, what, this is not what's best for you guys, okay? Um, I'm supposed to be your king. You guys are supposed to follow me, and I will lead you, and I will protect you. But nonetheless, the nation of Israel, all the people, they're like, hey, uh, God, we don't want you as a king. We look around at all the other nations around us. All the cool kids have a king. Give us a king. And so God gives them exactly what they ask for, even though it's not what's best for them. And and God gives them this guy named King Saul as their king. Now, Saul, he looks like a king. I mean, you look at the guy and you're just like, okay, yeah, that dude looks kingly. I mean, he's the strongest. He's the tallest in Israel. He's young. And things start off so well for Saul. I mean, he is brave. He's got courage. He defeats Israel's enemies. He follows God. But it just doesn't last very long. In fact, it doesn't take long at all. Saul begins to rebel against God. And when that starts happening, God eventually rejects Saul as king. And so God uh, calls to this name, or to this guy whose name is Samuel. Samuel's like a, he's like a retired prophet, okay? He's super old. Um, he's at the end of his life. And he says, hey, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go, and I want you to anoint a man after my own heart as the next king of Israel. And so Samuel goes, and he happens, this is what we talked about last week, he, he happens to go to this, um, this no-name town. He finds a, it's a, actually a 13 to 14-year-old kid. He's the youngest from a no-name family living in a no-name town. Uh, he's, a, he's a shepherd boy, which was like the lowest in society, really the worst of the worst. And uh, his own dad, remember, calls him a hakaton. Remember that name? Or remember that word? All right, means insignificant runt. Okay, his dad, his own dad is calling him. He's like, oh yeah, David, he's, he's the runt. And that's what his name is. His name is David. The Bible says that the spirit of the Lord rushed on David when Samuel anoints him as king. And it was with him from that day forward. And that's where we left off. Now, a few verses later, we see in, in verse 14, chapter 16, it says, now the spirit of the Lord had left Saul and an evil spirit was sent from the Lord and began to torment him. Now, for some of us in this room, we're looking at this, we're like, and even for me this week, I'm like looking at this, I'm like, 
dang, like, don't tick God off, you know? Like, like this is, like, that's got, like, it's hard for us to reason. I'm just like, man, this is rough. Like, like, here's God who's already rejected Saul as king, and now God's, like, picking on him? Like, I don't know, like, just doesn't seem quite right. But you got, there's some things you got to remember. Remember, at this point, Saul has become dangerous. Remember, he's already tried to kill his own, really to execute his own son at this point. And so what we're going to watch in the next few weeks is we're going to watch as Saul's paranoia grows and grows and grows and grows to the point where he only cares about himself. And we're going to find out that he gets into these like fits of rage and fits of anger where he cannot control himself and he does things that later on he regrets. And so it's interesting to me, as I was looking at this this week and trying to reason this within my own mind, you know, I'm just like, okay, well, you know, it's kind of jacked up, like, like you know, in, in a sense, it's how, it's how my mind thinks. And, and it's, but what I realized is, is that here's God, and he allows an evil spirit to incapacitate Saul for certain periods of time. It's the sense of maybe he's only, maybe he's harming him to restrain him. And I totally understand that this is not fun for Saul, Right? Right? Right, like not cool for him. But this is probably better for every single person around Saul, and it's technically probably better for Saul himself. And so this keeps happening over and over and over again, and the servants come up with this idea. They're like, hey, Saul, what you need, we need to get some music up in here. You know, they couldn't just press a button, uh, which would have been way easier. They're like, we got to get like a musician who's like real good. And so, and so King Saul, he hears about that, and he's like, you know what, that's a good idea. At least that'll take my mind off things. And so he's like, I want you to go out and like, like get me the best musician in the land. And so they're, they're trying to figure that out. And one servant's just like, hey, by the way, I'm um, interesting that you say that because I was just in that, like, that little like, village called Bethlehem, you know, not too far away. And so I was like, oh, yeah, I think I heard of it. And he's like, I was just there, and there was this, like, kid who was, I, he looked like a shepherd to me. He didn't look like, you know, kind of, kind of a haka tone, you know, like he was like a little runt kid. And he's like, he's like but I saw him, and, uh, and he was, like, playing the best I've ever heard anybody play. And he had, like, a lyre thing, which is, think of a harp. Okay, he's like, he just got this little harp thing and the kid was good. And so Saul's like, bring him in. And so at this point, David goes to work for Saul, oddly enough, all right? And when he played, the angel, all right, stopped bothering Saul. See, it's interesting to me, as I was thinking about this, it's, it's not only does God use this evil spirit to incapacitate Saul, meaning it keeps Saul from doing more wrong, keeps Saul from doing things that, that he will, will regret, but God also blesses Saul through David. Interesting how he does that. And so we see because of that, that David came to Saul and he entered his service. And Saul, check this out, Saul loved David very much. All right? And David became his armor bearer. And so for the next two or three years, remember when David's anointed king, he's maybe 12, 13, 14 years old, something like that. For the next two or three years, um, David Right, he is working for Saul. He actually splits his time between the palace and helping Saul and playing his little harp thing, and then or at home helping his dad with the sheep. And that's about the time that trouble comes. We see in chapter 17 that the Philistines, all right, their enemy had gathered their forces for war at Sokah in Judah. Now the Philistines were a people group that were actually like shipbuilders, um, and uh, they. Uh, kind of immigrated to the area or the land of Israel 
and, uh, and they came from the, the islands in the Mediterranean Sea, okay? A lot of scholars believe that they came from Crete. And so they were neighbors to Israel uh, to the west. And these people have been enemies with Israel at this point for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. I mean, it's just been a very long time that they have been warring with Israel. And these people don't come to have just a face-off against Israel. Look, this is an invasion. I mean, they're in Judah. They're in Israel. They have their armies, and they're doing whatever they want. And so Israel looks to their king. This is the exact reason why they wanted a king. And King Saul and the men of Israel, they gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah, and then they lined up in the battle formation to face the Philistines. He says, the Philistines were standing on one hill, and the Israelites were standing on the other hill with a ravine in between them. Can you picture this in your mind? All right, can you picture it? All right, so you got one hill, you got, the, you got the Philistine army, and they are all in battle formation. And then you got a valley, and then on this next hill over, you got the Israelite, um, the, the Jewish army, and they're all in battle formation. They are ready to go. Now nobody all right, wants to give up the high ground so nobody attacks, all right? Because if, if you wanted to attack the other, the other army, you'd have to leave your hill, you have to go down to the valley, then you would have to attack uphill, which is a clear, you know, severe disadvantage. And so nobody attacks. They're kind of at a standstill. Nobody knows what to do. Now there's something you got to understand. And I think this is something that we skip over and we don't think about. And we're just like, no, no, I get it, I get it. No, you got to understand that David lived in a very violent time. Something that we hear living at the time period that we live in, in the place that we live in, in our country, something that I don't think we understand at all. In fact, I feel like it's very difficult, maybe even impossible, to fully understand or to fully wrap our minds around the kind of world that David lived in and the kind of the world that David was born in or grew up in. See, in our culture, because of Hollywood and movies and stuff like that, um, we glamorize ancient warfare. That's what, that's what we do. Like, you know, you watch Braveheart and, you know, and Troy and Gladiator and movies like that. And we're like, dude, it'd been so sweet. Like, like, you know, we just have this idea of what ancient warfare is about, but we have, but we don't, we don't know. All right? We don't even have a clue because in order to fully understand, all right, what ancient warfare is about, you got to smell it. And you got to hear it. And you got to feel it. See, in modern warfare, we mostly, usually, we kill from a distance. In ancient warfare, right, you killed with your hands and with a small knife or a small sword, meaning you looked into your enemy's eyes, meaning you smelled their breath. I mean, that's how close you are to them. And the odds of you walking away from battle was extremely slim. And if you died, which was by far the most probable thing that would happen if you went off to battle, um, if you died, there would be no burial. There'd be no funeral. There'd be no flag draped over your coffin, right? You would lie there to rot, and the animals would eat you. See, after battle, if you did survive, right, you'd have to figure out what, whose blood was on you because you'd be covered in blood. Was it your blood or was it your enemy's blood? And there's nothing, I mean, there's nothing glamorous about ancient warfare, but it was required for all young men. Meaning if a nation came in and the armies invaded your land, like what was happening in this scenario, what was happening with these Philistine people, all right, you were required as a young man, maybe, you know, around 18, 17, 18 years and older, you're required to go off to battle and know that you're probably going to die for your country. See, that's the world that David was born into. It was cruel, it was brutal, and it was violent. And so here we got army versus army. 
on one hill or the other hill. Nobody wants to attack, and so they are at a standstill. In the next verse, we see that then a champion, all right, undefeated. All right, this guy named Goliath from Gath, that's a city in the Philistine territory. He came out from the Philistine camp, and he was nine, foot, nine feet, nine inches tall. So this guy is huge. It says, and he wore a bronze helmet. And he wore a bronze scale armor that weighed 125 pounds. I mean, think about this. I mean, this guy's shirt alone weighed 125 pounds. And what we find and what scholars, uh, what I've re- realized is that um, the Philistine people, they were actually the first ones or the first people group, most scholars would say, uh, to, uh, to invent or, or realize how to make bronze, okay? Bronze was a new technology back then. Uh, this was a big deal. And the Philistines, they're actually the people group that like ushered the world into the bronze age. And so this guy's got bronze all over him. There was bronze armor on his shins and a bronze javelin was slung between his shoulders. All right, he, uh, he, his spear shaft was like a weaver's beam and the iron point of his spear, just the point of his spear, it says weighed 15 pounds. In addition, a shield bearer was walking out in front of him. I mean, so here's this guy. I mean, can you picture this guy? This guy's nine foot nine. This guy is a champion of champions. For us to fully understand, I had to make one so you guys could compare him against me. Yeah. Now you know, now you know I'm pretty tall myself, right? How do I compare against this guy? All right, embarrassing. Not the guy you want to stand and take a picture next to, you know? That's the, it's not the guy. Um, Here's, this, is, this is nine foot nine right here. This is how big this guy was. He was a champion. Again, undefeated. He had a bronze helmet. He had bronze armor. All right, he had all this new technology uh, for this day and age. His shirt alone weighed 125 pounds. All right, that's pretty intense. All right, he had this bronze javelin that was like a beam of wood. The points, 15 pounds. I mean, he had a shield bearer. He had a servant. I mean, and this guy is like the man. And he probably had a reputation throughout the land of being this guy that nobody could be, being this like giant of a man. And so he went down, and this is what he shouted. He says, why do you come out to line up in battle formation? In which case, everybody's just like, what? What do you mean, why? What do you mean, why? You guys invaded us. He says, am I not a Philistine, and you're not servants of Saul? He says, choose one of your men, and have him come down against me. He says, if he wins in a fight against me and kills me, we will be your servants. But if I win against him and kill him, then you will be our servants and serve us. So here's the deal. He's saying, hey, this is what's going ha- to happen. All right, why don't you, we don't need all this bloodshed. All right, all, almost all you guys can go home to your families again. All right, nobody else has to die. Only one man has to die here. Bring out your champion. Bring out your best. Have him come fight me, and then whoever wins, the other nation will be our slaves. And so that's his offer to the Israelite camp. It says, then the Philistines said, he says, I defy the ranks of Israel today. All right, this word defy is a very strong word. All right, it's the word, it's, it's, it means like he shamed them. All right, he's taunting them. He says, I defy the ranks of Israel today. Send me a man so we can fight each other. It says, when Saul and all Israel heard these words from the Philistine, and then we got one big fat comma right here. I mean, you would think Saul and and the Jewish people, I mean, they got God on their side, right? Like you would, like they know that kind of, I mean, they're, they're supposed to be God's people. In fact, on top of that, Israel has their own champion. Remember who that is? King Saul. 
right? Saul's taller than everybody else. He's stronger than everybody else, right? Saul was a warrior. He's already been proven in battle. And probably the entire army, we know, they're all looking at King Saul going, all right, you're it. Get him, Saul. You're our guy. Take this guy out. I mean, Saul wasn't even close to as tall as this guy, but, but they're like, I mean, at least we got somebody. But instead, it says they lost their courage and we're terrified. So the whole nation is looking to the king. And the king is paralyzed by fear. Now we have a lot of leaders in here. Um, and you, we all lead in here in different capacities. Some of you guys, I mean, it's, maybe you're a leader at work. Maybe you're a leader in the family. You're a leader here at church maybe even. Or a leader in the community. Or on a team or at school or whatever. Whatever it might be. And let me just ask you a question. All right, have you ever been in the position of Saul and the fact that, have you ever let fear keep you from doing something that you know that you as a leader should do? Does that ever happen? See, fear was not something that's supposed to hold us down. In fact, in the New Testament, what Paul tells us, that Paul says, we as Christians, man, we don't have the spirit of fear. Like, it's not, it's not supposed to be found in us. Fear's not supposed to hold us back from anything. And here you have King Saul not taking care of this situation, allowing this man to go and not just defy Israel, but what he's actually doing, he's defying God. He's shaming God. He's taunting God. And Saul is paralyzed by fear to do anything about it. And it's not just Saul, right? It's the whole army. They're, all fr- they're afraid. And really what the problem is, the size of their giant was greater than their understanding of their God. All right? That's the issue that's going on here. See, they think that their problem is bigger than their God, which I feel like a lot of us in our normal, everyday life, we find ourselves in the same situation as that where we have problems that arise in our life and all we do is we think about our own strength and we're like, I don't know if I could do this. How can I get through? It's all about us. And we're crippled and we're paralyzed by fear. And we don't think about God and we think our problem is actually bigger than our God. And I get it, right? I mean, I get it. Like this dude's undefeated. This dude's a massive, this is a big boy, okay? I mean, this, as I'm looking at him, I'm like, dang. All right, he's, uh, I mean, this guy is a champion. He's almost 10 foot tall. Uh, he, he's, his reputation is someone who kills people, okay? Like that's, like, that's what he's known for. Like, hey, I'm the guy who kills everybody. Like, that's, like that's, it. that's who he is. And so there's many reasons, I get it. Like, there's many reasons to be afraid, and there's only one reason not to be. And Israel had God on their side, but nobody's looking to him. And so Saul, what he ends up doing, he comes up with a plan. Oh, he's scheming. He's like, all right, I'll come up with a reward. He says, hey, anybody who goes down and takes on Goliath, he says, I'll, send, I'll, I'll make you rich. All right, I'll give you my daughter as, as a wife. And uh, so meaning you'll become like my, you'll become into my family. You'll, come, you'll become like a son to me, a, my son-in-law. And then on top of that, he's like, and you'll never have to pay taxes ever again. In which case, that last part, I've been like, okay, I'm listening. You know, like never pay taxes. All right, you know, all right, get the girl, make rich, but no taxes, all right. You know, like that's, that's, that's kind of how I'd be thinking, but, but that's just me, all right. And so everybody hears this and nobody steps up. Everybody's like, man, it sounds good, especially the tax thing. It sounds real good, but I don't know. I don't think I'm going to have to take a pass. I'll pay, I'll, pay, I'll pay up. And verse 16, it says, every morning and evening for 40 days, this Philistine came forward and he took a stand. All right, he did this for 40 days. 
Right, this is over a month, day after day after day. Now, uh, the story takes a turn. It says, one day, Jesse, we talked about Jesse last week. That's David's dad. He told his son, David, he says, hey, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take this half bushel of roasted grain along with these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Now, David's got three older brothers. Right? He's actually got seven older brothers, but the, the three oldest ones are in Saul's army. And so he's taking them food. Jesse says, also take these 10 portions of cheese to the field commander and check on the well-being of your brothers. I want to, like, are they okay? Has there been any fighting, any battles? You know, and bring confirmation um, from them. And so here's David. He's literally like the, the you know, Jesse's like, go deliver these cheese and crackers to your brothers. Like, that, that's what's going on here. He's one pepperoni away from being like, you know, a pizza delivery guy boy here, which isn't bad, all right? It's not bad. But think about it. David's been anointed king. Like two to three years ago when he was a smaller kid, you know, he was anointed king. And here he is. He's still like taking care of the sheep. He's still doing the lowest job and he's door dashing on the side. Like that's, that's what he's doing. And he's, he's, you know what he's thinking, right? Like he's like, I'm supposed to be king. Like when's this thing going to kick in? Like, like how long does this anointing thing last? Was this a mistake? Was it supposed to be my brother? What's going on here? But David Got up early in the morning anyway. Now, I just want to point this out. If you are a middle school kid or a high school kid, let me just throw this up at you. Um, check out what David does here. So his dad tells him something to do. And so what does David do? The next day, he gets up early in the morning. You should try sometime, okay? <laughs> just throwing that out there. He says, then he left the flock with somebody else to keep it. So he was responsible. He didn't just say, all right, sheep, later. You know, no, he's like, he like took care of his stuff while he was gone. He's like, hey, I need you to wash my sheep. And uh, he loaded up, so he did some work. And then he set out as Jesse had charged him, meaning he obeyed his dad. You should try that sometime, okay? <laughs> High school kids. Um, it's going to end up well for him because he did that, just throwing that out there. It says, he arrived at the perimeter of the camp as the army was marching out to his battle formation, shouting their battle cries. So they're shouting, they're all yelling at each other and stuff. And Israel and the Philistines, they lined up in battle formation facing each other. It says, so David, he left his supplies in the care of the quartermaster and he ran to the battle line. Of course he's going to run. Like this is some 16-year-old kid uh, at this point. You know, he wants to see what's going on. He's curious. He's like, oh, man, we got some action. I hear some shouting. I'm going to go watch this thing. It says, so when he arrived, he asked his brothers how they were. So he gets there. They're not fighting. He's like, dang it. Okay. This is always like, how are you guys doing? He says, while he was speaking with them, he says, suddenly the champion named Goliath, the Philistine from Gath, he came forward from the Philistine battle line, and he shouted his usual words. Now, Everybody else sitting here, everybody else on the front line, they've all heard all the things that Goliath had to say. Like they know. They're like, okay, here he goes again. All right, he's going to be talking about God and how he defies us and how we're ashamed. He's going to taunt us. He's going he's to do his thing. But David, this is the first time in which he heard. He hadn't heard this before. In fact, David, you know, for him, you know, I don't, David's probably never heard anybody curse God before in his entire life. And he's just like, whoa, what? And so David watches as the Israelite men retreated from Goliath, terrified. All right, it's interesting here, right? So David, he, he sees what's going on. He hears what Goliath has to say. And everybody else is, they're afraid. Everybody else responds in fear. David, he's offended. This bothers him that Goliath would say 
such a thing. And so David reacts differently. We see in verse 26, it says, David spoke to the men who were standing with him. He's like, who's that guy? He's like, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? No one had thought of it that way before. Right? Nobody had thought of, of Goliath being a disgrace. They see him, they, they view him as a giant. They view him as a man, as a man's man. Like this guy, as this undefeated champion. But David's like, man, this is a disgrace. Why aren't you guys doing anything about this? He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine, meaning, meaning um, guy or person outside of God's promises, that he should defy, that he should taunt, that he should shame the armies of the living God. It's a question nobody had asked before. David's just like, like, who does this guy think he is? Hey, why don't you guys do anything about this guy? Like, why don't you guys just go down and kill him? I don't understand. Like, you're in the, you know, you're in the army. What, what's going on here? David's just like, man, this is all disgrace. He's a 16-year-old kid. As you can imagine, <laughs> people are like, man, shut up, you know? Like, you're like, dude, you go down and get him. And David's asking, he's like, what's the reward? Is there like a reward or something for taking this guy out? And they're like, yeah, actually, actually there is. King Saul, he, he, he gets a reward. And when David finds out, when he's like, you're telling me that if I go down there and kill him, which is actually the thing that, that God would want me to do, take this guy, take this problem out. He's saying, on top of that, I'll become rich. And on top of that, I don't have to pay taxes. <laughs> you know, he's like, and then I, I get the girl. He's just like, I don't see what the problem is here. Why hasn't anybody done this? And when David's oldest brother, Eliab, we talked about him last week. He's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a tall man in and of himself. When he hears what David is saying, just that he's talking about this stuff, it says he listened as he spoke to the men, as David spoke to the men. He became angry with him. You ever try to do the right thing and say the right things and somebody who should have your back is actually against you or resists you? That's what's going on here. He says, why did you come down here? David, why are you even here? You're supposed to be back taking care of the sheep. He says, he says who did you leave those few sheep? You only got a few of them, right? He's like, those few sheep, that the only thing that you're, you know, you're good enough for. He says, who did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness with? He says, I know your arrogance and your evil heart. He says, you came down here to see the battle. You're just a kid, and you're just coming here to watch the bloodshed. You're just coming here to see the action. He says, what, a, David, by the way, this is just a, I view this as just a younger brother, older brother spat. You guys have all had these before, you know? And David's just like, what have I done now? You're yelling at me again? All right, this is, you're always yelling at me, Eliab, you know, like that type of thing. And he's like, it was just a question. I'm just asking a question. I'm not allowed to ask questions anymore. What's going on? And David continues to ask. He keeps asking for the details and the guys in the army, they're, they're telling him. Eventually, uh, the Bible tells us that rumor gets back to Saul that, hey, hey, there's this guy that, uh, you know, I heard this guy talking. He's like, he's like willing to go. And Saul's like, you serious? We got somebody? And Saul's getting all pumped up. He's like, well, bring him in. Finally, I knew I had champions out there. You know, I knew I had warriors in my army who would come take this guy out. All right, it's about time. And so Saul calls um, David in to, to meet him. Now, remember, Saul is excited. He is pumped. He's like, finally, a warrior. It's about time. And he's sitting in his tent. He's looking at the door. And 16-year-old David walks in with his brand new driver's license. You know, he's like, check out. Look what I got. I can do this. You know, it's messed up. Can you imagine the disappointment on Saul's face when he sees this? He's just like, oh, are you kidding me? 
I thought you, hey, I thought you said, he's like, I'm going to put you to death later for telling me, you know, like, get me excited. It's like, he's just like, he's just like, you got to be kidding me. This isn't a warrior. This is my little heart boy, right? Like, this is, what, what's going on? There's no soldier. There's no scars. He's got no armor. He's got no, he's got no weapon. And David walks in, and this is what David says. This is a 16-year-old kid, man. All right, picture this. He says, hey, king. Don't let anyone be discouraged by Goliath. Your servant, me, David. I'll go out and fight this guy. And Saul's just like, oh. And I picture this. I don't know if he did this or not. The Bible doesn't tell us, but he probably did. I picture it. Saul stands up. And remember, Saul's a tall guy. David's he's a 16-year-old hakatone. You know, he's a runt. And, um, and Saul, I picture him, like, just patting David on the head. Like, you can't go. I thought you were a warrior. You know, he's like, you can't go fight this Philistine little David. You can't do that. He says, you're just a kid. And he's been a warrior since he was a kid. He's like, you don't have a chance. You can't do this. He's like, and by the way, aren't you my harp player? Aren't you the guy that stands in the corner and plays a harp? Harp's not a real manly instrument, okay? I'm sorry if I offend anybody, men in there, who plays the harp in here. But um, take on something else. I don't know, drums or something. Right? It's the hard player. This would be like, it's just, it's just embarrassing. And this is how David responds. And David's like, yeah, Ken. He says, your servant. He's like, I've been tending my father's sheep. By the way, not a strong start. Okay? He's just like, man, this is what I do. King Saul, I got the qualifications. I take care of like fluffy little animals. So that's got to count for something. And King Saul's just like, man, you you got to be kidding me. He says, you know, he's just like, this cannot be happening. This would be like, by the way, this would be like, um, how many, we got any Browns fans in here? You guys watched Monday Night Football last week? I'm sorry about your loss. Okay, yeah, and I knew. You're lost in multiple ways. Um, I, I uh, you know, I, so I'm not a Browns fan, but I feel for you because it's like, man, you guys just can't cut a break every year. I get to hear all the, we're going to be the best, and then you never are. Yeah, you, you know. <laughs> Every, it's, it's always next year. Yeah, it's this year for like two weeks, and then it's next year. So Nick Chubb, right, like after his leg got bent, bent off, you know, I don't know, how, whatever happened to it. Yeah, I watched it. Um, you know, it'd be like this. Like this is the exact scenario. This is very similar. Listen to this. You're sitting there in the game. You jump out of the stands after Nick Chubb just got his leg bent, bent around, and he cart him off, and you, go, you run up to the, to the coach, and you're just like, put me in, coach. You know, like you're just like, hey, I got this. I will score this next touchdown for you because we're right there on the goal line anyway. And I'm going to go ahead and just win the game. And if, if, you're, if you're cool with it, we'll win every game and then I'll win the Super Bowl for you. Okay, how about that? I mean, what would happen? You think he's going to let you out there? No. <laughs> he's going to have you arrested. <laughs> you know, they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna drag you away. That's what's going on here. I mean, this is David, little 16, maybe 15-year-old kid in front of the king saying he's going to go take the champion. And remember what's at stake. What's at stake is the whole nation becomes slaves. All right, pretty big, pretty big deal here. And so here's David, and he says, yeah, I'm a shepherd. All right, I can do this. And he's like, a shepherd, what? And then David ups it a little bit because he probably sees the look on his face. He's like, he's like okay, well, okay, well, more than a shepherd. He says, because I'm a shepherd, he says, your servant has killed lions and bears. That's sweet, by the way. Okay, 
right? That's on my bucket list. We've talked about that before. Nobody liked my bucket list. I got yelled at for that. But, um, but yeah, I want to take on a bear with like a knife, man to man, a little black bear. Anyway, this is not in my message. He got to do it and he won, which is sweet. Uh, he actually says, I grabbed him by the beard. And I, you know, whatever. Okay, so he says, your servant, I've killed lions and I've killed bears, uh, which is impressive. Can we all say, wow? Can you just say that real quick? Wow. Yeah, all right. I'll give him that. He says, this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. He says, for, meaning because, here's the reason why. Not because David's all that, not because David's the best ever. For he has defied the armies of the living God. He said, because he is taunting God. That's the issue here, King Saul. I think you're missing it. He says, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion, which is sweet, and the paw of the bear, which is awesome too. He says, well, rescue me from the hand of that guy. He's like, I got this. See, what's interesting is David is looking at this problem through a theological lens. I don't think we do that very often, right? Usually the way we view a problem in our life is through our own strength. Like, okay, I don't know if I can do this. How am I supposed to take care of this? What am I supposed to do? It's all about us. It's all about I, 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 I. David doesn't do that. David, he looks at this problem through a theological lens. He's not looking at this guy's height or this guy's weapons that he's got like all over him. What he's doing, he's saying, hey, this isn't right. It doesn't matter how strong I am. It doesn't matter how big I am. This problem needs taken care of. And so everybody else in the, in the army, they're looking at this guy as a giant, but David sees a man. And David's saying, is, God got this. Somebody has to do it, right? Somebody has to do the hard thing, and I guess, I guess I'll do it. Now, what David's not saying is he's not saying, hey, look at me, all right? Look at me. I'll take care of this. I'm pretty good with a, with a slingshot. He's, a, he's not saying, watch me do it. He's, he's not saying, hey, I got lion-killing skills, and I got bear-killing skills, and I bet those translate into giant-killing skills. That's what I think, Saul. Um, that's not what he says. What he says is he's like, this guy has offended God, and so God's going to take care of it. God's going to do it, not me. And so David convinces Saul to give him a chance. I mean, think about Saul. He's got nobody else. And he's kind of backed up against a wall here. And so Saul tries to armor him up. Right? He's like, okay, well, if you're going to go, you ain't wearing that. And so he's, Saul's probably got the only armor in the entire nation. And because um, the Jewish people were poor at this point. And, uh, and so, you know, he gives David his, his armor. And remember, Saul is a big guy, and David is a runt, and so um, David obviously doesn't fit. In fact, David says, uh, he, he's like, I can't walk in these. He's like, got it on. He's like, you know, he's like, I can't walk in this. He's like, I'm not used to him. So David took off Saul's armor. He says, instead, he took his staff in his hand, and he chose five smooth stones. Now, I don't know about you. I would have picked up like 20, you know, just in case. He picks up five smooth stones from, from the creek, and he put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag. Then, with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. David's doing the unthinkable, and everybody's watching. See, what's cool about it is last week we got David's name. That's it. This week we get to see what he's like. So David starts walking from the front lines down the valley, right, towards Goliath, Right, who's standing in the middle of the, the valley. Two armies right, are, are, are watching this. And maybe at this moment, maybe David, I don't know this for sure, I'm just guessing, but maybe at this moment as David's walking down, I mean, he's thinking about something. Maybe he's praying like the quick prayer before a test, you know, like, God, am I doing this? 
this right? Like, I think you're going to do this, but I don't know for sure. You know, but maybe at this moment, David realizes that God has been preparing him for this moment his entire life. Maybe what he realizes in this moment is that all those years in the field, doing the lowest job, getting no respect, Right? Boring. All those years where it's just kind of miserable, where it's, you know, he was out there in the rain, in the sleet, in the snow, when it was cold, when it was hot. He was out there for everything, missing out on stuff. Maybe all those years in the field, maybe that wasn't his punishment. Maybe that was preparation. See, I think a lot of times, for us, we're always looking to something better and better and better. Like, man, when I get this and when I do this and when I get this job and I'm going to get this promotion and I'm going to graduate this and I'm going to become a starter. You know, whatever it might be for you in your life at this moment right now. And it's just, you're just not there yet. And maybe you're kind of getting itchy. Like, you're, you know, Ansi, you're just like, man, okay, like when, when, when's this happening? Like, like when am I going to move forward? Maybe, can I just point this out? Maybe, just maybe for you, maybe this isn't punishment Maybe it's preparation. And so David, I like to think that that's what he's thinking as he's walking down this valley towards the Philistine, towards Goliath. And the Philistine came closer and closer to David with the shield bearer in front of him. It says, when the Philistine looked and he saw David, he despised him, meaning he is ticked. It bothers the champion, undefeated, that this kid, I mean, he sees that David's a kid. Right? It bothers him that he is coming up to him, that, 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 this is, that this kid, you know, is coming. And he despised him because he was just a kid, healthy and handsome. I mean, can you imagine, like, when, the, when, when Goliath sees him, like, what he's thinking? He's just like, you've got to be kidding me. He even says, he said, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? Remember, David's got a staff in his hand, shepherd's staff. He's like, you coming at me with a stick? Then he cursed David by his gods. He says, come here. He says, I'll give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts. And as David's walking down, remember, there's two armies on both sides of him. Can you imagine when the Philistine army sees, that, as, sees David and he's get, as he gets closer and closer and closer, when they realize it's just a kid? Imagine what they're thinking. No armor, no sword. He's got a stick. <laughs> That's it runt of a kid. I mean, they're just like, they're just like, well, is this a joke? Like, I don't get, I, I don't get it. Like, did they seriously send a kid? And, and you got the whole Philistine front line. I, you know what I think they were doing? One by one, individually, as they start realizing that David, who, who David is, that he is just a boy. I mean, if 16-year-old kid, I think they start laughing, right? I mean, they start laughing and it grows and it grows and it grows and it grows. It's just embarrassing. David and David keeps walking. And then the, the army behind David, the Jewish army, what are they doing? There's no laughing going on. They're embarrassed. Like, this is the kid? This is our champion? This is our warrior? Why would Saul allow him to go? Remember, what's at stake? They're about to become slaves if he loses this. And at this point, if I were David, and as I hear the laughters and I hear the jeering, and I hear what Goliath says, Goliath's like, I'm going to kill you. Come on over. I'll kill you right here, right now. I'd be second-guessing myself, but not David. David, he yells back to him as he's walking to him. He's like, you come against me with a sword and a spear 
And, uh, oh, you got a javelin there too? Like, like he's like counting all his weapons. You know, like, you got a lot of stuff there. <laughs> he says, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of armies, the God of the ranks of Israel. That, by the way, you have defied him. Right? You've been talking all this trash talk against him. He says, today the Lord will hand you over to me, and today I will strike you down, and I will remove your head, and I will give the corpses of the Philistine camp to the birds of the sky and the wild creatures of the earth. You ever meet like a one-upper whenever you say something, somebody else one-ups? is what he's doing, totally. You know, Goliath already said, he's like, hey, man, you come over here. I'm going to kill you, and I'm going to feed your body to the animals. And he's like, oh, yeah? Uh-huh, okay, well, yeah, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to feed you, and I'm going to kill you, and then I'm going to cut off your head, and then I'm going to feed you and your whole army to the animals, you know? And he's just like, okay, yeah, okay, whatever. You know, he just took his, his own thing. He says, but then the world will know that Israel has a God. And this whole assembly, all of you guys know, my people and your people will know that it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's. He will hand you over to us. It's all about God. God's going to do this. God's going to do this. He's going to do it. This is when the Philistines started forward to attack David. David, check this out. David ran quickly. All right, this is not a mistake. It's not like David walks out and he's somehow tricked by King Saul. Like, you know, he heard rumor that, oh, this is when the shepherds fight. You know, and he goes out and he's like, hey, man, where's everybody? Is it just me? Okay, no more shepherds here. Like, that's not what's going on here. David does, this is no mistake. All right, this, he, knows, he knows what's going on. He knows, knows what he's doing. And he runs to the problem. If I were him, I'd be like, all right, God, you're going to like, you're going to have a heart attack. Like, that'd be nice. Or faint or something. Like, it's getting hot out here. You know, like, like, you know, I'd be like, how are you going to do this, God? That's not what David does. All right, David's just not like defensive. David's like, all right, let's go. All right, I'm going to run, and we'll just see what happens, God. And he runs to the battle line to meet him. It says, David put his hand in the bag, and he took out a stone, and he slung that thing as hard as he could. And it hit the Philistine in his, on his forehead, and the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. Right? It says David ran over him, ran to him, and he stood over him, and he grabbed the Philistine sword. Remember, David doesn't have a, like a real weapon here. He doesn't have a sword. Right? So he pulls the sword out of its sheath. He borrows Goliath's sword for a second. He's like, hey, let me borrow this. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll give it back. And he uses it to kill him. And then he cut off his head with his own sword. And when the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they make a tragic mistake and they fled. And when they fled... The men of Israel and the Judah, they rallied and they shouted their battle cry and they chased the Philistines and they, the Bible tells us, cut them down. Israel is saved. David instantly becomes the most popular person in the whole nation. I mean, everybody has heard of him. He becomes an instant celebrity. It's going to kind of kick off his career as a 16-year-old kid. Now, the question is, what's the story all about? I don't know. What's it about? Like, what's this mean to my life? And I think there's a lot of things that you can learn about God through the story, obviously. Um, is, it, throughout the years, I've heard many different pastors, you know, they give all these different applications, like, this is what it means, this is for you, you know, just all this stuff. Like, is it, we need to face down our giants in our life? Uh, yeah, maybe, for you. I mean, I think we all have things in our life that, that the, God tells us, hey, you need to remove that, and, and we don't. Usually it's because of fear. It paralyzes us. Stops us in our tracks. We just kind of leave it there for 40 days. You know, 
or for extended periods of time. We don't, we don't deal with it. So yeah, maybe that's you today. Maybe you need to cut down whatever that giant is in your life. Well, is it, is it that bold faith is not a feeling? It's a belief? Sure. Is it that God uses the weak? Is that, is that the, the point of the story? Well, yeah, we, we know that. Actually, we learned that last week. I mean, God chooses to use the weak. Is it that trust in God and he will remove all the obstacles in our life? Eh, no. <laughs> Try again. See, ultimately, the story is not about us. In reality, the story fits into a much larger story throughout the Old Testament of God's rescue mission for us, for mankind. See, it's interesting because through David's family line, he sends the ultimate savior. Someone not just to save a small group of people at one time, at one point in history, but someone to save all of mankind. And that's exactly what happens later. About a thousand years after David, Jesus was born in the same town, in probably a very similar way, in the dirt. He's our true hero and our true king. Not a servant that we can order around or, or not a servant who gives us everything that we want or that only exists to make our life easier. What we're gonna see in David's life, all right, in the early years, life wasn't easy. Even though he's been anointed king. See, nobody really knows that yet. Probably only just his family because if the word got out that David had been anointed king, I mean, saw, it, it would have been a death, it would have been a death sentence, not just for David, but probably for his entire family. So Saul doesn't know that yet, but he's about to figure it out. And we'll pick the story up next week. Let's pray. God, we thank you for David. And just as an example for us of how we need to live by faith. We don't do that very often. We, we say we do and we think we do and we always got you in the back of our mind. But God, we don't, really our actions don't show it, which is really very opposite of how David responded here. David responded with action. God, help us to do what you have called us to do and help us to reach who you called us to reach and to take out the things in our life that you've told us to take out. God, we thank you for loving us. Thank you for caring for us. And ultimately, Lord, we thank you for sending your son, coming down yourself to live a perfect life and to die for each and every one of us in here. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.